seen that there's good news for everything. We've talked about good news for our identity, that in Jesus we have a new identity. We've been given a new identity in Jesus, that we aren't what people think of us. We don't have to try and prove to people who we are by working hard or by being smart. Or We, we, we have nothing to lose in the gospel. We have a new identity. We have nothing to lose, and we have nothing to prove. We don't have to prove anything to anyone if we're in Christ because God looks at us and he sees us as holy and pure and blameless. Colossians 1.22 taught us that. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 2 says that we are saints. Now in the eyes of God, we are saints. Though we know that we're sinners, we struggle with sin. We are sinners by nature and choice. We all know our own heart's intent, the thoughts of our minds. And yet God looks at us through Jesus and he says, you are saints. I see you as saints. And so we've been looking at this good news. We've seen good news for our questions. We all have different questions, different doubts, different things that we wrestle with. And we've seen good news for that here in the book of Colossians. We've seen good news for our suffering. We go through seasons and times of suffering. And we've seen in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the good news for our suffering. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the good news for our relationships. Thank you, Garth. My, my friend and our church brother, Garth, brought us the word last week from Colossians as I was out sitting in the woods looking for Bambi's dad, which I did not see. Um, so I just sat, I, I listened and I looked to the woods. I listened to the woods and I looked at the woods for hours. And uh, I enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm glad to be back with you. It's warmer here and uh, you are friendly faces much more friendly than the squirrels in the woods. But thank you, Garth, for, for sharing with us the good news that God's word has for our relationships. And God's word, sometimes it, it, it seems contradictory to the world. What the world would tell us is good news about good news for our relationships. But God's word has good news for our relationships. It tells us how to live in a way that actually helps the world and helps our family and helps our life to flourish. And so this morning, as we continue to look at Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. As we continue to look at this passage, we're going to see that Paul wants us as the church to be able to be fluent in the gospel. Paul wants us to be able to speak the gospel. He wants us to be able to go into the world that's broken and that's desperate and to bring the good news about Jesus Christ into the world, into our spheres of influence, into every encounter, every person, every relational sphere of influence that we are in. God wants us to bring the good news about Jesus Christ into those spheres. And I think Paul is instructing us here in this passage how we can do that, what that looks like, how we can be a people who are fluent with the gospel who can speak the good news of Jesus Christ often and with ease and with care, that, that we live the good news of the gospel. So I want to ask that you would stand as I read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. All right, Paul writes, Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to, de to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. 
This is one of my favorite passages when I think about evangelism, when I think about sharing the gospel. And, and many of us who grew up in the church, we may think of these two things, evangelism and discipleship, where evangelism is you tell somebody about Jesus and you get them to make a decision to follow Jesus. And then discipleship is what you do with them after they've made a decision. I think those, those, are two, uh, those two categories have been pitted against one another and we see one as pre-Christian, one as post-Christian. And I think there's a, there's a muddy ground between the two and I don't think we have to separate the two. I think evangelism is what we need to do to one another each and every day. Evangelism is sharing the gospel. It's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think we need to do that to and for one another. On an ongoing basis, we need to evangelize one another. And this is also discipleship. It's helping one another to grow up into believing the things of God. And so Paul here, he's encouraging, he's telling the church, he wants us as a church to be fluent in the gospel. For us to be able to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to one another, into every situation in life. That's what Paul is after, and that's what Paul himself wants. And I think he gives us three principles for how we can become gospel-fluent people. Three principles for how we can speak the gospel to one another daily. And the first one is to pray continually. I love this. The Apostle Paul is telling us to pray. We need to be a people of prayer if we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And when I say share the good news of Jesus Christ or use the term evangelism, some people clam up because you're not very outgoing, you're not very extroverted, or maybe you don't know how to talk about Jesus with eloquence. That's okay. As, as we get through this passage, we're going to see that you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the drawer or the brightest bulb in the fixture. God works through us to proclaim the gospel, and he can and will make it clear. And the principle for us becoming, the first principle for us becoming fluent with the gospel is to pray continually. Paul, the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, is dependent on prayer. He's a gospel proclaimer. This is what Paul did with his life. As I said, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of us, if we're trying to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, we're looking at Paul's letters and trying to read Paul's letters and trying to use Paul to unpack who Jesus is with a non-Christian. And here, the guy who wrote this letter is telling us to be steadfast in prayer, to pray continually, to have an ongoing dialogue with Jesus. Because we're dependent on prayer. We can't study the gospel. We can't study evangelism techniques enough to be able to convince somebody that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can't go into a conversation with a non-believer with the right tools, and the right tools will then cause them to believe in Jesus. doesn't mean we shouldn't have some tools, that we shouldn't have some knowledge that we shouldn't grow in understanding what it means to share the gospel. But look at what Paul says. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray continually. As you go about your day, as you, as you go through the motions of life, some of you probably have an imaginary friend, or maybe you did when you were a kid. Um, some of you may talk to yourself all the time. I see some people's mouths going sometimes. Right now it's happening. People are talking to themselves. Pitchers, I'm a big baseball fan. Pitchers, you'll often see them talking to themselves on the mound. I think what, what Paul is saying is that we need to have this ongoing dialogue with Jesus throughout the day. That he's, like the, he's not the imaginary friend, but he's the presence. He's the friend. He's the person who is always with us. And so we have this ongoing dialogue, this ongoing conversation 
with Jesus. We pray continually. Paul says, pray stead- continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. So as we pray throughout the day, we're being watchful. We're praying that God would open up doors, that God would, that God would give us opportunities to show people the love of Jesus Christ in word and deeds, in word and deed, and we're staying watchful. We're looking around. We're, we're not always on our phone looking down. We're not always on the phone listening to someone else. But as we go to a coffee shop, as we go to a restaurant, as we get from our, walk from our car into our house, we're looking to see if our neighbors are accessible and if we can encourage them, if we can have a conversation with them. As we order our coffee, we're not ignoring the person on the other side of the counter by scrolling on our phone. We're engaging them. And, and we're being watchful. We're praying. We're saying, God, Lucy, who is making my coffee for me, is there something that you want me to encourage her with today? Her, her face seems a little bit depressed. She seems a little bit down. God, would you open up a door for me to encourage her with the good news of Jesus Christ or just to bless her with a word of affirmation or a word of encouragement? Paul says, pray continually. Be steadfast in it. As you go, keep this conversation, keep this dialogue going with the Lord and be watchful in it. Look for God to open up doors. Look for God to give you opportunity and be thankful. Go about your day not begrudging the circumstances that you're in. Not wishing that you had what somebody else has. But be thankful for who God is, for what God has given you, for the opportunities that God has given you. And maybe your opportunities seem small compared to others. Stop comparing them to others. You say, God, what do you have for me? You've put me in this situation. You've given me this life. You've caused me to be alive in 2017 I thank you for that. What do you want me to do with that? Paul continues, he says, At the same time, pray also for us, this is verse 3, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul's in prison for, he's writing this letter from prison, he's in prison for telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. He's thrown into jail because he keeps proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's in jail for this, and what does he want to do? Someone has to answer that question for me. What does he want to do? What's that? Let's look at it. Come on. At the same time, pray also for us. So he's got some other disciples with him. They're in prison together. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So he's in prison for declaring the gospel. What does he want to do in prison? Declare the gospel. He's already thrown in jail and he's the one telling us to be thankful. He's saying, I'm in jail for proclaiming Jesus Christ. And all that he wants to do is to continue to tell people about Jesus Christ. And again, this is the smart, one of the smartest men in history who had the most effect and the most fruit in proclaiming the word. And what does he ask for? He asks the church in Colossia for prayer that God would open up a door. Paul is dependent on prayer. He's saying if we want to be people who bring the good news into a world who desperately needs good news, we need to pray. We need to ask that God would open up a door for us to proclaim the gospel. We can't go out there kicking doors open. Oftentimes, people don't like evangelism, and evangelism goes bad because we try and ram the Bible down people's throat when God hasn't opened a door. Um, You may go around door to door, and somebody seems resistant. Maybe they're in their bathrobe, and you're like trying to get the Bible down their throat, and they're like, hey, I just got out of the bath. Let me close my door. Maybe come back tomorrow. And we need to listen. We need to pray. We need to ask that God would open up a door for us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I know many people in here have probably felt pressured to go and share the gospel. And maybe others have felt pressured by somebody sharing the gospel. And Paul here is giving us a principle that if we're going to be effective in sharing the gospel, we need to pray that God would open up a door. We don't need to be fools who zealously go out trying to ram the good news down people's throat. It's not going to be good news to them if they're not ready and willing to hear it. So us as Christians, we need to pray continually. We need to ask that God would open up a door for the gospel. And if a door seems closed, don't keep pushing it. Believe that God is sovereign, that God cares for that person more than you do and say, God, would you open up this door? I'm going to come back. And this could be a metaphorical door. It could be the person at the coffee shop. It could be your family member who's hard-hearted and resistant to the gospel. Rather than continuing to push it, say, God, would you, would you soften their heart? Would you open up their ears? Would you give me the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them in their life? Paul asks them to pray for open doors, but he also asks for clarity in his speech. I love this. Look at verse 4. He says, Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul clearly knows the gospel. He communicates it extremely well. Acts 17 gives us this beautiful picture of how Paul met people, where they were at. He understood what they were going through. You can write down that passage and look at it later. He's in Athens, and, and he perceives that they worship all these false gods, and, and he knows the culture, and he says, I see that you're a very religious people. And he commends them for their religious zeal, for their religious pursuit. And then he goes on to say, but the God that you worship isn't the true God, Jesus Christ. And, and he proclaims the gospel clearly, and people come to know Jesus. But yet, Paul isn't relying on his intellect. He's not relying on his experience. He's not relying on his eloquence. He's relying on prayer. He says, if I'm going to be a gospel-fluent person, if I'm going to be able to speak Jesus Christ effectively into other people's lives, you've got to pray for me, church. I can't do it unless the Spirit does it through me. He says, pray that I would make the gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak. He knew the gospel. He could make it more clear than anyone. But he's saying, if I'm speaking to a non-believer, God's got to make it clear, coming out of my mouth and coming into their ears. Uh, ears. Otherwise, it sounds like foolishness. And it does. It sounds like foolishness. The other day, my, my daughter, Avery, who's five, was talking about Santa in the car when I picked her up from school. And, and, and I love her. She's, plug your ears if you don't know that Santa's not real. Um, she was telling me that Santa's not real. She's like, it's just impossible, Dad. How could one guy fly to all the different houses? Reindeer don't even fly, right, Dad? So how could, she's trying to convince me that Santa's not real, which I already know. Um, but as she was doing this, I, I was thinking to somebody who doesn't understand the gospel, talking about Jesus Christ probably sounds about as bizarre as trying to convince a grown adult that Santa is real. I mean, a snake spoke to a woman in a garden and she took a bite of a fruit and then sin destroyed the world, and God came down as a man. God's three in one. God the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're three, but they're one. God sent his son, Jesus, who's the same but different, to be born of a virgin. Um, and then he lived a perfect life, and then he died for us, and 
we're forgiven by his blood and we have to place our faith in him, but the Holy Spirit has to open up our eyes and our heart to see that, and the Holy Spirit is also part of this three but one. I mean, I mean think about it. If God isn't opening up our hearts and our minds to understand that, it sounds crazy and absurd, and it is if the Holy Spirit isn't working. And so Paul says, if we want to be people who see an effect, who see a result from good news proclamation, we need to pray because we can't do it. You can't pretty up your gospel presentation well enough that people will hear the craziness of the gospel and say, hey, that made sense. It doesn't make sense. And so we need to pray that God would give us the right words, that God would give us the right timing, that God would open up a door, that the person that we're with would be receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is, in fact, the Savior of the world, who is the good news for everything. Pray. We need to be a people of prayer. God, right now, I pray that you would open up doors for us to proclaim the gospel. Anyone sitting among us right now who doesn't believe the gospel, I pray that you would open up their hearts and their minds to see you. And Lord, those of us who have received the gospel, who do believe in Jesus, we continue to wrestle with doubts. And we have many things that, that we're not sure about. As, as in the gospels, um, the story of the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I pray that you would help us believers with our unbelief. Would you empower us to believe the gospel more and more each day? And I pray that you would open up doors for us to proclaim it with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members, with our coworkers. May you open up doors and may we speak it clearly. So the first principle, pray continually. The second one is live intentionally. Look at verse 5. So Paul, all, the, first, the first three verses are all about prayer. And then verse 5, he says, Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of time. So Paul is saying if we want to be fluent with the gospel, if we want to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that it makes sense to people, in a way, when it, in a way that it connects with people, we need to live intentionally. We need to go about our lives with intentionality. Conduct yourselves wisely. Okay, so your conduct of life, be wise in how you live, make wise choices in the power of the Holy Spirit. Use your time wisely towards outsiders, towards those who aren't a part of the church, towards those who aren't a part of the faith, making the best use of time. Don't spend all of your time in your basement watching Netflix. Oh, I just preached to myself. Darn it. Ah. Don't spend all of your time looking at your phone. Don't spend all of your time chasing your personal hobbies, though none of those are bad. But we are called to make the best use of our time. What's the best use of your time? How are we intentional with our time? Paul is saying, conduct yourselves wisely, especially towards outsiders. So think about how you're living. Think about what you're communicating. Think about what you're doing with, with non-believers. And maximize your time. Think, if I have some free time, how can I use that to build relationships with people to speak the gospel? And if I don't have free time, which many of us don't have a whole lot of free time, right? That's one of the problems in the American culture, in the American church. We don't have time for anything. So how do we bring intentionality into the things that are already in our schedule? How do we go to work with intentionality? How do, we, how do we eat dinner with our family with intentionality? How do we do all things with intentionality? One of my favorite books about church ministry is called Total Church, written by a guy named Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. And, and they have a chapter on evangelism, and I love what they say in this chapter. They they um, identify evangelism as ordinary people, they, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Isn't that great? 
You're all a bunch of ordinary people. I can tell by looking at you. <laughs> and we all do a bunch of ordinary things, do we not? We wake up, brush our teeth, go to work, get the kids out of bed, get the kids dressed. We have a lot of ordinary activity. The majority of our life is spent in the ordinary. Ordinary people doing ordinary things. And guess what? We do it with gospel intentionality. We make the best use of our time. We're, we're praying continually, saying, God, would you help me learn and know how to be intentional with my time? Would you open up doors with my coworkers, with my, families, with my family, with my friends, that, that I would conduct myself wisely among them, that I would make the best use of time? Help me to be an ordinary person, doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. A few examples of this. I read a book a few years back by a guy named Ed Stetzer called Planting Missional Churches. And this is when we were planting City Vision Church. And um, I wanted to be a good church planter. So I read one of the primary books on church planting. And I love this model. He said, okay, if you're a church planter, and, and I think this applies to anyone who's not trying to plant a church, just a Christian. This is what it means to live intentionally. He said when he moved into a city to plant a new church, he would go to the same gas station every time he had to fill up his gas tank. And he wouldn't pay at the pump. And even if the gas station across the street was three cents cheaper per gallon, he would go to the same gas station. And rather than swiping his card, he would walk in. And he got to know Karen, the lady who worked at the counter. He would ask her how her day was. He would encourage her. He would say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? You probably get it for free. It's right there. But can, can I bless you somehow today? He was living intentionally. He thought, why would I worry about saving 75 cents by going to the gas station across the street rather than going to the same one and seeing how Karen's day is going and caring for Karen and blessing Karen and asking Karen if I could pray for her in any way. That's living intentionally. What if we as the people of God were doing that? What if rather than convenience, chasing convenience, we were led by conviction that the person working inside the gas station is more important than us saving five minutes? What if we just got up five minutes earlier? We walked into the gas station so that we could meet Karen, so that we could encourage Karen, so that we could smile at Karen and bring some brightness to her day. A couple other examples. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a few people out, and I didn't get permission for this, so forgive me in advance. Better to ask um, forgiveness and permission, right? So... I'm asking your forgiveness right now. Jeff Petrie, one of our community group leaders. I love, I, I, Jeff and I get together. Yeah, sorry, man. Everyone's looking at you. <laughs> Front row, too. Um, we get together for lunch at Taco Bell. And Jeff intentionally goes to Taco Bell because he loves it. I mean, who doesn't, right? What, what young man doesn't love Taco Bell? Um, but he knows James, the guy who works at Taco Bell. When I, get, when I get to Taco Bell with Jeff, I don't know James. I'm just standing in line like the idiot who wants his food, who's not caring about the person on the other side of the counter. And here's Jeff carrying on a conversation with James. Hey, James, how are you doing? How's your day? And he intentionally goes to that Taco Bell time and time again because he cares about James. He wants to encourage James. He wants to ask James about his day. And Jeff brings his coworkers over to his house. We got together a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to get together at Eight, we couldn't get together at eight. We had to get together at nine because Jeff had coworkers coming over to his house to have a steak night. Just to spend time together and to pray and ask that God would open up gospel conversations. Ruth Nelson, um, who I don't think is here today. She is here. Ruth, I apologize <laughs> for calling you out. Ruth Nelson 
The way that she shares Jesus with people, it's amazing. She is a neighbor. Um, she had a neighbor, a 20-year-old friend um, who, before she moved into um, kind of a retirement-assisted living community, they lived together in the, they lived next to each other in the neighborhood. And when Ruth's husband, Norris, passed away just a little over a year ago, she rekindled this relationship with her old neighbor. She started inviting Ryan, a 20-year-old guy. Ruth is um, older than 20 years old by a couple of years. <laughs> Looks about 25. Um, she started inviting Ryan over to her house for dinner. And they get together once a month, and they're reading the Gospel of John together. How awesome. And then a couple of weeks ago, she told me about having her other neighbor over for dinner, and they're talking about Jesus, living with intentionality. Kurt Miller, another guy at our church, a newer guy, drives a Lyft. He drives not a Lyft, you know, like a Lyft thing in a warehouse. He drives Lyft, like Uber and Lyft. Think about the cab service. Um, communication is hard these days. <laughs> he, drives, he drives Lyft. Um, and he, every, almost every person that he drives in his car, he's praying for them and he's asking them how he can pray for them. And he's taking down their emails and he's following up. And there was a single mom a couple weeks ago who he told me about who had all this need and he got her email and he followed up with her and he got her a bunch of groceries. Living intentionally for the gospel, with the gospel. And then I'm just going to call my wife out because good brownie points, right? A <laughs> um, couple, maybe, it was a couple months ago when the weather was still nice enough to be out at a park and a playground. She met another mom from our neighborhood who had a kid, same ages as ours, a little bit younger than her daughter, Avery, but they just struck up a conversation. They started talking with each other. They got each other's phone numbers. They ended up having a play date together. Brittany found out that this, this neighbor of ours' husband was just diagnosed with leukemia. And so she's praying for him. She texted him the day that he went in for surgery, praying for him. That's living with intentionality. That's praying as we go, saying, God, would you open up doors? Would you help me to be watchful? Would you open up the right doors? Would you help me to pay attention to what you're doing around me? And I want to live intentionally. I want to go to the same gas station. I want to make the best use of my time. Again, let's root it in Scripture. That's what Paul is saying. Conduct yourselves wisely. Think about what you're doing. Do what you're doing with intentionality. Live intentionally, especially towards outsiders. I mean, this also applies to insiders, right? We need to conduct ourselves wisely among the church family and among those who aren't a part of the church family, making the best use of time. Let's be a sanctified people who don't waste our time, but we redeem our time for the glory of God. Live intentionally. And then the third one is to speak fluently. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Let your speech always be seasoned with salt so that you, so that you may know how you, how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I think what Paul is getting at here is that we would speak the gospel we would speak the good news of Jesus Christ fluently, that it would be like our first language. The, the start of the video, which you didn't hear the first couple seconds, he said, learning a new language is hard. You, in order to become fluent in it, you have to be immersed in a culture. My daughter is going to Park Spanish Immersion School. She's a kindergartner there. She's learning Spanish by being immersed in Spanish-speaking culture. And so us as Christians, we need to be immersed in a Christian community where we're speaking the gospel to one another. 
The gospel isn't a one time we share it for salvation and then we move on to growing up into moralism. The gospel is what we need all day, every day, in every situation. The good news that Jesus is who we, Jesus did what we can't do. Jesus is the savior that we can't be. Jesus is the righteousness that we are given. And so we need to learn to speak the gospel fluently. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious. The gospel is grace. It's good news that undeserving sinners were saved by a righteous and holy God through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's an undeserved gift. We didn't earn it. And so Paul is saying, as we go out into the world, may our speech be gracious, not condemning. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's in John chapter 10. I can't remember the exact verse reference off the top of my head, but write it down and go read it later. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Romans 8, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so we want to go into the world speaking the good news fluently, saying that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're in him, if you follow him, there's no condemnation for you. Speech that's filled with grace Speech that's filled with life. Speech that's filled with hope. Not going out into a non-believing world and condemning them because they don't live like the church. Because their morals aren't up to snuff. And sometimes that's why people don't want to hear about Jesus. It's, actually, it's not actually that they don't want to hear about Jesus. They've just never heard that Jesus is good news. They've only heard bad news. That you're a sinner and you don't measure up and our world's going to hell in a handbasket and our culture is awful. And, and man, it, it's, it's this moralism that's being pressed out of the church into the world rather than grace. That God loves you and he desires you, and he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could have an abundant life. And so Paul says, let your speech always be gracious. Always. Always be gracious. Always, always, always be gracious. And sometimes grace is sharing a hard word. I mean, it's not always just, hey, you're okay just the way you are. It's no, none of us are okay the way that we are. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we have a Savior. That's why God sent him. That's where we get new life. And so we're gracious with our speech, but sometimes gracious speech means sharing the hard truth. Paul goes on to say, okay, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. This is the, the truth piece. It is grace. It is gracious to share truth. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do when you rub it in an open wound, which is how they cleaned open wounds in the Bible time because they didn't have neosporin or whatever we have these days. You would use salt to clean out an open wound. What happens if you put salt in an open wound? It stings. It burns. So Paul is saying sometimes our speech is going to burn. It's going to sting because the world is broken. The world is cut. The world is like a massive open wound. And speaking Jesus into that, sometimes it stings because it contradicts the world. But do it. Do it in love. Do it with care. Do it for their healing, not for their condemnation. Also, salt in this culture preserved. They didn't have refrigerators. They had to put salt on their meat and salt things to preserve it. And so Paul is saying, let your speech, your gospel speech, your gospel fluency, may it always be gracious and seasoned with salt. May you bring Jesus into the conversation. Don't simply be nice to people. Be nice to people in the presence and the power in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes telling them the truth is going to hurt. They're going to wince. They're going to back away from us. They're not going to want to hear it. But we pray that God would open up the door. We pray that God would give us clear words. We live intentionally. And then we speak the gospel fluently. Not worrying about the results because God is a sovereign one who has to open up people's minds and eyes and hearts and ears. Our job is to share it, to share Jesus with grace so, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is gospel fluency. We need to meet them where they are. Meet people where they're at. Hear their story. Get to know them. Love them. Care for them. We need to love the world in word and deed. We need to do good works for the world, but also proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with people. There's an old quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and nobody knows if he really said it this way or not, so I'm not going to quote him. I'm going to share the quote that's attributed to him. It's, share the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. I like the idea, I like the concept, I know what they're getting at. It's probably a reaction to people who share the gospel verbally without praying for and looking for open doors. But what it's often interpreted as, then, is that we can just do nice things for people and we don't have to always tell them about Jesus. Like, I can go rake my neighbor's leaves and somehow they're magically going to hear that Jesus died for their sins and that he's the hope of the world eternal. That's not going to happen through me raking their leaves. I have to open my mouth, I have to tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Good news is good news. It's news. News has to be proclaimed. News can't just be demonstrated. And so here Paul is saying that, that we, we would open our mouths, we would proclaim the gospel, we get to know people, we love them, we care for them, we hear where, where they are at, we meet them where they are, we meet them on their turf, as I was taught in my youth ministry 101 class. Earn the right to be heard. If you don't have the right to be heard, why is anyone going to listen to you? If, if you've built no relationship of trust with them, why are they going to care to tell you their deepest, darkest secrets or their fears or their failures? Or why are they going to care to let you put salt in their open wound, which will sting? So we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. God, would you open up a door? for your good news to go out into the world. And would you, would you help me to speak it clearly because I'm a bumbling idiot. I'm a fool. And when I open my mouth, I often trip over my words and I can't make it clear. And the glories of your word are far too innumerable for me to comprehend, let alone to communicate to my neighbor who doesn't believe it. So God, would you make it clear in my mouth? And we live intentionally. God, would you open up doors around me? As I go through my day, help me not to forget that you are present with me, that you are working around me, that, that the waiter at the, at the restaurant, that the person, the clerk at the coffee shop, that my neighbor, that my family members are desperate for Jesus. So would you help me to live intentionally? And would you empower me to speak fluently? Only you can do it, but would you help me to speak with grace? And salty. I love that word. Old salty people. You ever heard like, oh, he's an old salty guy. It's kind of crotchety. This, that's not what it means here. But salty does mean speech that is intentional and it's to the point. It's not sugar-coated. It's not Minnesota nice. But it's the truth shared with grace in love. In the, in the book that I mentioned earlier, Gospel Fluency, by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, which I highly recommend to any of you if you want to grow in this topic in becoming a fluent speaker of the gospel, Jeff Vanderstelt writes this, 
Gospel fluency does not come about only in a classroom or during a Sunday morning gathering. People don't become fluent through classes by passively listening to preaching or by reading books. They become fluent through immersion in a gospel-speaking culture. That's what we want this church to be. Not a Sunday morning show where you passively listen to a sermon for however long it went today, but a culture of gospel people where we are speaking the gospel fluently into one another each and every day, building one another up with the good news of Jesus Christ that we could go into a desperate, hurting, dying world with the message of salvation. That Jesus is good news, that he's good news for your relationships, that he's good news for your finances, that he's good news for your doubt, that he's good news for your sex, that he's good news for your fears, that he's good news for your work, that he's good news for your unemployment. He is the good news for everything. And so we want to be a people who grow in that good news, who speak the gospel to one another, and who carry the gospel to the world. Amen? How do we do this? We pray. Continue praying, church. Pray for one another. As Paul says, pray for me that, I, that God may open up a door and that I may make it clear. Pray for one another. Pray for the people in this church that you know, that God would open up doors for them and that they would be empowered with the right words when that door opens to walk through it and to share the gospel. Live intentionally. Start to think for yourself. What are some things that I can do as an individual to live more intentionally? Do I need to walk into the gas station? Do I need to maybe go get a cup of coffee every day from the same coffee shop for $7? Maybe if you have the financial means to do it, maybe you go there and you get to know Kim at the coffee shop with your $7 latte every day. And you praise God for that latte and you ask her how her day is going. How can you live intentionally? Maybe it just means praying with your spouse. Maybe it means encouraging your kids. Maybe it means... Spending time talking on the phone to your mother. I preach to myself again. <laughs> and then grow in fluency. Speak the gospel to one another. Let's be a people of good news who encourage one another with gracious speech and salty speech. I'm going to pray, and then Jeff Vanderselt, the author of Gospel Fluency, there's just a little video that I think really captures well what we mean by gospel fluency, and then we'll, uh, we'll send out this morning by just singing a song of praise to Jesus, and really a prayer that he would fill us with love for him, that we could bring the gospel into a world who so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. I thank you that it's not dependent on us because it would have been spoiled a long time ago. You are sovereign, you are king, you are reigning, you are good, you love your people, and you love those who aren't yet your people. And so I pray now that you would empower us, your people, to go into the world and to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into every situation, into every sphere of influence. We ask that you would do in us what we can never do on our own. Lord, we pray that you would open doors. We pray that you would help us to speak clearly. We ask that you would help us to know how we can individually live more intentionally. And would you make us people who are fluent with the gospel, that we could speak it like our native tongue, that Jesus would roll off our tongue, that the truth of Jesus, that the good news of Jesus would meet us where we're at, and that we would be able to meet others where they're at with the good news of Jesus, not with self-help tips or um, religious platitude, but the good news of Jesus Christ, because we do believe that you are good news for everything, and so would you have your way in us, King Jesus. Amen.